Welcome everybody to the first episode of The Endgame, um, a podcast which uh, Bill and I have decided we're going to do thanks to the prompting of someone who's going to be joining us shortly, but we'll we'll talk more about him later. Um, but first, uh, I, I really ought to welcome my co-host Bill Fleckenstein. Bill, hi mate. How you doing mate? I'm happy to be here. Um, but, uh, I think this will be fun for us. Uh, hopefully the people listening in will uh, get something out of it as well. Yeah, right. that, would be, that would be nice. I mean, it's it's we'll we'll talk a little bit about how this came about um, in a while because uh, the gentleman who is a mutual friend of ours who prompted the pair of us to do this is going to join us and explain his rationale behind it. But, I should but, give you the backstory because it's kind of yeah. fun. So I was down in La Quinta uh, during you know I just got back to Seattle uh, a few days ago, and during the lockdown when we were supposed to be locked down. I found an abandoned grocery store and I went up and it was hitting tennis balls. A buddy of mine would go up there and the cops rolled by a few times. They didn't really care because I'm out in Riverside County. You've seen what it's like. There's nobody yeah. there in the first place. Anyway, I'm on the wall banging away. I, I get a call from a buddy of mine and he says, you and Grant Williams have got to do a podcast. And he goes on and gives me this litany of reasons and I could hardly get him off the phone. And then, <laughs> then I contacted you, but I just, I, I'll always forget. I, I can't get that scene out of my mind of where I was, you know, behind this <laughs> abandoned grocery store hitting tennis balls and discussing this idea that now is at least uh, starting to become uh, a reality. So that, yeah. that's, that's the backstory that I have for you. Well, now, what we want to talk about here, and, and again, I'm going to let that you do the heavy lifting here and talk about, because when we kind of sat down and decided this was probably a good idea, we then had to come up with what the hell we were going to talk about. And I think you managed to sum it up very succinctly uh, in terms of what the questions we were going to ask. We're all really going to have like a common um, end game, hence the name of the podcast. So why don't you talk a little bit about what, what we really want to try and find out? Okay. In, in all seriousness, uh, one of the things that I have thought about for a very long time and now is perhaps we're getting close enough to the moment in time where it might actually matter to think about this is what is going to be the end game for the monetization schemes that the central banks have, have been employing and are now employing in an increasingly large way. So I've always thought the end game would be when the bond market, quote unquote, takes the printing press away from the Fed or the other central banks. But the question becomes, if the, if the bond markets take away the printing press, and we can talk about how that might occur, that has an obvious, very, very negative ramifications. The other possibility, though, is let's say the, the BOJ calls up the MOF on the phone and says, or calls up the Ministry of Finance and says, you know what? We're going, to we're going to exchange all this debt that we own back to you if you'll give us a 200-year piece of paper at like one basis point. Effectively, they will have, would have ripped up the debt, but they would have put something on the balance sheet so they could pretend they didn't. What would life look like on the other side? Does the yen tank? Does it do JGB's tank? Do they go up? Do they go down? What happens in, the, in Japan the day after? It's interesting, and and I think um, you the phrase that that I'm I'm going to go to my grave saying that you coined about the the, the markets taking the printing press away from uh, the central banks was was so, it's such a beautifully coined phrase, and it's such a an evocative image because that's what it's always felt like to me was going to happen. I, I've I've watched you very carefully because um, 
A, you, you've been waiting for that moment when it's right to short the market again. You've proven that um, the, the moment you chose to close your short fund, March 09, was <laughs> perfect, right? You, you picked the bottom beautifully. Well, I think I had and, a little luck there too. Well, but, you know, look, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but, but you closed that fund at the precise point that a lot of other people who had been short and got it right were pressing, right? They figured this is, this is the start of something really, really bad. Um, and so I've, I've watched you very carefully for, for over a decade now waiting for you to set up a new short fund because I wanted to see if there came a moment where you felt that we were close to either the market taking away the printing press or latterly if we'd reached the point of cold fusion. And you know, as, I, as I remember, and this is what I want to ask you about, I can only remember one time in those last 11 years where you and I chatted and you kind of indicated to me that you were getting close to that point where you felt like it might be time again. Should so, I interrupt you now to, to tackle that topic? Or no, no, to please, please do. Yeah, jump in. Okay, okay. Um, so in, in just to step back a sec, in, in March of 2009, what I concluded was that it was going to be impossible to make money on the short side as long as they were doing QE. And um, I didn't expect it would be 12 years later before it's, it, it, it was seen not to have worked. I spent a lot of time researching 29. I was there in... Tokyo, not, I mean, I was positioned in Tokyo. I wasn't there in Japan. I obviously saw the this equity bubble and the real estate bubble. And I'll never forget January of 1990 when they opened, it traded down. It was odd. It was the first time in my life when I'd recognized a market thing that shouldn't be happening. And I increased my position in my Nikkei puts and it worked out quite well. But my point is that I believe that exhaustion causes things to end. And it, where, whenever it was in 15 or 16, I thought we were maybe seeing signs of exhaustion and I thought there was going to be some, uh, there was going to be some earnings problems. I thought some catalysts were shaping up. So I decided to try to raise some money for a short fund again, but I did it saying, I'm not going to be short tomorrow or anytime right. soon. I wanted, I'm gonna, I wanted to raise the money to wait for the moment in time that I thought was right. And while that sounds good on paper, nobody wanted to pay me to wait. I even tried to structure the fund like the like the uh, LBO artists do. Oh, I forgot we call them private equity, don't we? Um, <laughs> where you could have a call on the capital, right. and uh, I wanted to do that. But my lawyers, you know, explained to me how it was going to be almost impossible to, to make that work right. So I basically abandoned the idea because I didn't get enough critical mass. And, and quite frankly, in the in the say the six to nine months that I spent marketing and talking to people, I kind of lost my enthusiasm for it a little bit because, you know, there was. And thank God I did, because there was only a couple of times where it looked like it might have worked and probably I would have gotten drawn into the battle and I would have been able to get away from the trade. Yeah. But my psychology would have been upset. And then I later came to the idea of instead of expressing my skepticism about the bubble and the economic situation via shorts, I could do it via precious metals and um, bet with the central banks instead of against them. But for the same reasons, we can talk about that some other time. But Anyway, that's what happened. Uh, I, 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 there was a moment where I thought it might work, and now I have no interest in ever doing it because, well, I don't really want to work that hard. <laughs> and uh, uh, I mean, there will be a time around losing the printing press. That will be the moment, but uh, it, it'll be somebody else's moment, not mine. Well, let, let, let me let me go back to that um, that nineteen ninety start of the year in Japan because I was I was living in Tokyo at the time, trading trading oh, awesome. in the UK. 
Um, and and we'd had that crazy blow off into the end of '89. Yeah. And I remember you know, on New Year's Eve the market closed at lunchtime. And it closed at a new all-time high, and everybody in the office was standing on the desk cheering and clapping and whooping and wailing. And it was it was it was quite a thing. And like you, um, I noticed that it just didn't carry on the next day. But I was younger and, and way too inexperienced to really understand what that meant, to be honest with you. So I'm I'm curious to know A, what what it was that gave you enough conviction to do something about it because generally speaking you see something that's a little off and you you don't really do anything about it you kind of think oh i really need to pay attention to that so what was it that gave you that conviction and and kind of the second part of that question have we gone past that time where it, it's it's smart to have the balls to do something about something you see that feels inherently wrong by that time, I'd been in the business about nine years. I'd been running money for seven. Jesus, how old are you? 105. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and so I, that's why I pointed out, it was the first time I'd have the, had the courage to actually act. Right. Um, I was lucky because I had found these, uh, Solomon Brothers had issued bonds with warrants, put some call warrants attached and they got stripped off and the bonds traded and then puts and call warrants, warrants traded separately, but they traded as warrants, which miss, which meant they could get badly mispriced. So they traded in Singapore. I was lucky enough to find some brokers who knew about them and then I found them. So I had a vehicle that was, that was where I was priced wrong. So I had, I, I, by that time I had tried shorting it for a couple of years. I'd sort of been involved since after the 87 crash, um, off and on and, and you just couldn't be short over there. Right, and so I, I, I'd experienced, I'd felt the market action for a good couple of years by then. So I'd had a little bit of a feel for it, and I remember my salesman from Nomura, because <laughs> uh, uh, he was, of course, y'all sang the party line back then, <laughs> lecturing me at the end of December that I could not possibly be short into 1990 because they were going to release the um, postal system savings. Uh, to be able to, and the, the the avalanche of money that was coming in was going to be, you know, just going to run everybody over. So I was a little bit, you know, terrified of what was going to happen next. And then it didn't. And and again, it wasn't anything special. It was just, that was finally the, that was the finally the first time I had the courage to act on something like that. And then whether or not you can do that today. Yeah, I think, I, th I think you still can, but I think you've got to be a little extra careful because as so many guys much smarter than me, have noted, not the least of which has been Stan Druckenmiller, it's very difficult to read the tape anymore. That doesn't mean it can't happen. That just means you probably got to use a closer stop or really have your risk protected to try to get involved. That, that'd be my answer to the second part of your question. So, so let me ask you this, because I've often wondered this um, when, when we've chatted, and, I, and I, it occurs to me that I've never actually asked you this question straight up, and that is, how do you manage when your, your beliefs are so strong that there's a moment coming when economic reality uh, is going to reassert itself and when this nonsense that the central banks have been doing is finally going to be exhausted and the market's just not going to play along anymore. How do you resist getting pulled back into the short side? Because it, it must be a very difficult thing to do because you, you want to make money when you're finally proven right. Well, um, I, I, it's funny. I was joking with... Uh... Fred Hickey and another friend of mine about this very subject. From the fall of 98 
to the blow off in 2000, March, I got crushed on running my short fund. And I wasn't even short the crazy stuff because I learned in Japan that if something gets crazy, the next thing isn't sanity. The next thing's more crazy and more crazy and more crazy. But what happened in that the, the tail end of that mania was if xyzcatanddogs.com can trade for X, well, then Intel can trade for some valuation near that. Or So I didn't expect, like, for instance, Gateway, which eventually went to zero. I was In 99, I was short PCs and suppliers to PCs because everyone had to buy a new one. So when we got to Y2K, there was going to be a big black hole because everyone yeah. had already bought their stuff. And I thought that when the market broke, that would end the dot-com nonsense, and that would that would have even less demand. And yet you had, you know, you know, Gateway and Dell and Compaq and all their suppliers trading at astronomical multiples to earnings sales and everything else. I still got run over. I mean, I had I had the sensible strategy. It was definitely dead right, but I got run over. And along the way, I realized that. I, I just couldn't express my bearishness if the Fed was on the was in in the easing mode. I, I so I developed a few simple rules. Is the what's the Fed doing? Is it making it? Are they making it easy to be long or easier to be short? Usually the answer is um, the former. Yeah. Is the market making new highs, or has it kind of got a structure you could believe that possibly it's rolled over? Are individual stocks reacting negatively to to bad news? And do I have catalysts? If I get those four things together, I could begin to be short. And they would line up from time to time during the manias, but they haven't really lined up much at all in the last 12 years. There's been a couple of times I've made a couple of shots. So I got the, I have a very rudimentary checklist, but most of it starts with the Fed. And so since so so basically the, the money that I lost and the tuition I paid in the late 90s has really helped me in the last 20 years. And I've found many other short sellers that are quite smart and good at it and that maybe short as part of a long short portfolio or just short exclusively. When I try to say that to them, then I, I always get a constant, well, you don't understand the consumers. Then they go into all the fundamental reasons why that's more important than the Fed. So I learned that lesson. It seemed to have worked. I developed some rules around it. And so now I'm the guy with a hammer to, for, for which everything looks like a nail. That's my number one rule and I'm sticking to it pretty much. But you've, you also t you also mentioned going back to that that blow off in two thousand with the, the Y two K liquidity surge that that did just yeah turbocharge the market. Now we've seen I mean any number of those type events, particularly most recently, right? I mean th this this last month six weeks looks more like that blow off than anything to me recently, um, and it, and this time it's against the backdrop of of undeniably awful economic data which we which we didn't have in 2000 you know the recession would come later than that so when you look at the situation now you look at the massive liquidity surge that we're seeing is this another one that you're you're biding your time because you seem to have in the background also an economic tailwind behind you yeah. here to be short again or, or are you still nervous that this has got well, further to go uh, for, again um with short selling or with anything, when you get involved in something and it goes against you, it chews up a lot of mental capacity, but it becomes to, it begins to become personal. Yeah. And so it's harder and harder to get away from the trade, so to speak. 
That's the hardest thing in short selling yeah, is to have totally the discipline agree. and uh, sorry, to have the conviction to put something on and stay with it as it goes against you to a certain degree, but have the discipline to throw in the towel. It's like the great card players that, you know, that the, the guy can fold a straight because he knows the guy's got a flush or something on beat him. You know, I, when I watch poker, I just watch it. I don't play it. I watch it to see how the guys get away from the hand. So I got quite good at that. Um, but so I don't have any dog in the hunt of like the market owes me cause it went up and I was short. Yeah. Uh, so I can be completely dispassionate about it. And, and when you wind up, when you run the short book, like I did, you know, I would, I would, especially when we get near hot, where it was market was trying to roll over or failed rally, whether it's an individual stock or a market, I'd be putting stuff on and trying to get bigger and I'd get chased out. So it'd get real, real sloppy at the end. That's why I never wanted anyone to see my trades because I'd look like an <laughs> idiot. You know, you put the same stock on and off four times in a day, you know, oh God, I got to cover it again. I got to, oh no, I got to put it back out. Um, but in any case, that would be impossible in today's environment because it's so whippy and so yeah. hard to read the tape. This is also what's helped me keep things in perspective. The Y2K liquidity injection was only, as I recall, only around $40 billion. Now that was on top of too easy of money for five years on, in a strong economy. And that gave us, in my opinion, the NASDAQ blow off we had. Yeah. Now we just had 2 trillion plus in about five weeks on top of 10 bailout facilities. And so if, if you ask me, am, am I surprised the market's done what it's done? I say, no especially after you've trained everybody for 12 years that QE works and there's right. no downside. It's only when you juxtapose the market action to the underlying fundamentals that, that, that I get a headache. I understand the market can do whatever it can do when the Fed does what it's done and will do. But when you look at the fundamentals, that's why I, I tweeted on Sunday night, the market was up in the wake of these horrible riots we had over the weekend. And I didn't mean it like, how can the market do that in a whiny sense? I meant <laughs> this proves that nothing matters except QE. Nothing matters because I don't care how bullish you are and how the market could be right down the road. There's no way to think that what happened over the weekend, which kind of came, which did come as a surprise, should have caused people to want to buy stocks. I mean, let's be serious. And, you know, I, some guys glibly said, well, blood in the streets. Yeah, but that's supposed to be after guys have lost money, not been shot. You know right. what I mean? Right. So in any case, so that the tuition that I paid in, in some summary, the tuition I paid between 98 and early 2000 has saved me and made me a whole hell of a lot of multiples of what it cost me. Uh well, Bill, I guess it's time to to introduce that that mystery mutual friend of ours that, that we mentioned at the top of the show, the man who uh, who called you while you were annoying the hell out of the people inside the grocery store. No, they weren't called, there. <laughs> and who called me a couple of days later to to badger me to do this? Um, the one, the only, Mark Cahodis. Mark, are you there? I am here. Hello, Wait. fellas. Good to good to hear from you. Mark is our unindicted co-conspirator. <laughs> exactly right. Um, I'm so proud of myself for coming up with this idea. I mean, this is this is a much better version than Cudlow and Kramer. This is Cudlow and Kramer on on marijuana, on booze, on rum punch, and, you, and the drug of your choice. But this is this is a powerful combo. Listen, we've got a and, lot more and, here and, than the pair of those two. Yeah, this is a powerful combo. And anything these two say, I would listen to it intently. Well, listen, we, 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 we wanted to have you 
come and do this first show with us um, to really, well, for two reasons. One, to, to kind of get the backstory of what made you think this was a good idea because <laughs> Phil and I have just mm-hmm. kind of followed along with it. But secondly, mm-hmm. for me and people listening, I, I'm dying to hear you and Bill talk about short selling um, mm-hmm. because I think it's, uh, you, you both come at it from such different directions, but I think for uh, for the people listening, it would be a great thing to be a fly on the wall. So let's get the, the first bit out of the way first. What the hell possessed you to think this is a good idea? Okay, folks. Ladies and gentlemen and you two, I am being deadly serious here. So I know a lot of people. I know them in all parts of the globe. But, and this isn't all honesty, Grant and Bill are two of the brightest, most articulate market participants I have ever known. And the world... And the markets need these two together in a very, very, very big way because the bullshit and the crap that's currently on TV, airwaves, blogs, certain people's podcasts is just complete and utter garbage. I wouldn't even wipe my ass or gargle with it. It's just terrible. Um, I'm onward. So, so that was my thinking behind it. I mean, You guys can talk stocks, bonds, currency, Federal Reserve, markets, history, Greenspan, Bernanke, Janet Yellen, it looks like she's, she sounds like she's had some, some brain, you know, injury and Grant's friend, Powell. Oh, come on. You're never going to let me forget that. (laughs) One tweet. I said one tweet. You know what? But, But you know what? It does show one thing. You can have a much better discussion when you're at least willing to grant the other side, uh, a point and 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 we're all to a degree historians and and for those who don't know us and i think this is an important point everyone on this line pays attention and everyone on this line has a very high attention to detail and nothing slips by and if you think so you're sorely mistaken. <laughs> well, let, let me let me ask Mark. Let me ask you because the, the, if there's one thing that you need to be uh, a successful short seller, it is that. I mean, apart from the intestinal fortitude, which which we'll get to for sure, that that attention to detail is is so incredibly important when you're going to run a short book. How, how was it something that you had, or was it something that you've had to cultivate over the years? It's something that I've had but it's something I've polished up. But the one, I think, common trait, you know, that Fleck and I have, or the people who I think operate in the, at an elite level, and there's very few who do, very few, is not only do you have to have incredible attention to detail and be aware of nuances, but I get so down on myself for making mistakes. It's, it's almost scary. I mean, the way the trolls beat me up is nothing, nothing compared how down I get on myself on, on mistakes I make. And I think it's a combination of extreme attention to detail and trying to learn by your mistakes the first or second time and not make them again and again and again. And you keep trying to refine your game 
and are aware of more nuances as time goes on because this is a very, very, very tricky time period in business. I'll tell you that. You know something, Mark, you, you just triggered something for me. It's like, I didn't know other people did that. I mean, I, I've seen you make the comment that you beat yourself up. I, I bet you I don't have a day that goes by. Well, probably having some, but it seems like the disproportionate amount of the days I am pissed at myself for having done something stupid again, or why didn't mm-hmm. I do, I planned to do this and then I did that. And of course, that's what the market does to you, right? Uh, yeah. t- tricks you into doing something you've learned not to quite do that way. And it, <laughs> it's remarkable how often that, 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 that happens. But, but at the same time, you have to operate with an extreme level of confidence and or conviction because you're constantly being pushed around and you're constantly being told by the market and others how wrong you are constantly. You know, Mark, you mentioned the flexibility and the conviction and the discipline and all the things you have to do. And when I started shorting stocks, I think in the first time in the eighties, it was only frauds. I, you know, I, I bumped mm-hmm. into Matt Fesh back along the way and I got mm-hmm. captivated the idea of frauds. And then along the way, I started to think that the frauds were especially hard because you not only had to deal with the facts, you had to deal with the fact you're dealing with a criminal. And over time, I stopped doing that almost almost totally, although not completely. And yet you kept doing it. And the amount of digging and abuse you had to go through, I wound up getting to the point where I thought the Fed mattered for everything from a risk control standpoint. And so I would, you know, throw in the towel and stuff. But I was never in anything that I knew for sure was a zero in those days. And And you managed to you know, stay with those, fight through them, and make them work. One question is, did you develop a way to cover and get out of the way, get back in, or did you just try to stay with it unless they absolutely forced you to? How did you, how did you evolve the, the part where you have to be so disciplined, so con- have so much conviction, but have enough flexibility to give yourself breathing room from time to time? Boy, that's a really good question. That is a good question. So... I've been doing this professionally since the 80s, the early 80s. I was screwing around when I was in high school in the late 70s, stupid as that is. So I've seen the 80s, 90s, you know, I've seen what Bill has seen. And you're right, it used to be the frauds were easy. But then as the market got bigger and the feds cared less and less and less and people got away with more and more and more it became harder and my risk controls and risk management is not very good and i have no hard and fast rules about getting in and getting out of that um there have been some times where it's worked in my favor there's been some times where it hasn't worked in my favor but on the fund level we sadly would hang out uh, more than we should have and not uh, run from cover. That would be the case with Learnout and Houseby. Uh, that would be the case with Aramisoft. That would be the case. Iomega wasn't a fraud. That was with Iomega. But the one story I'll never, ever, ever forget, and I use this as motivation, is we were short Novastar. Oh, God. And I don't know. It was up three and a half times on us, something like that, three times. 
or just getting absolutely destroyed in that subprime yeah shenanigans and when that was going on but i i knew i knew it was a total fraud i mean i visited their fake offices in vegas so when the thing was so up against us and i couldn't sleep i don't sleep well to begin with we get a we get a call rocker gets a call from the guy who runs lafayette university's endowment or whatever and i think they have 150 million with us they have a lot of money with us and the guy is just busting up my ass on Novastar. And he says, you have no risk controls. I said, well, that's not how I'd phrase it, but carry on. He goes, you're just, you're just wrong. I said, I'm not wrong. He goes, well, that shows you're wrong because it's against you and you just won't get out. I said, I'm not getting out. I said, I will see this through if it's the last thing I'll do. I said, if I have to work 23 and a half hours in the day, that's what I'll do. Um, but I'm, we're not leaving. And he said, then I'm pulling my money. I said, that's fine. Pull all your money. I said, we'll send it to you right now. And he pulled all his money. And I don't think Novastar ticked an eighth higher after that. And then it absolutely collapsed. And I think of that motherfucker giving me a hard time. I think of that to this day, to this day. And the, and the one thing that, you know, I was seeing that Michael Jordan, that documentary, and the one thing that caught me was what it took to motivate him, what it takes to motivate me. And I'm a motherfucker when you throw adversity my way and try to push me up against the wall. And, and usually when that happens and it gets real noisy and people make it real personal and tell me I'm stupid and things like that, it's usually when things are going to top. And that's a roundabout way of, of sort of one of my indications. If something is going up on a fraud or a situation I'm involved in and it's not noisy and people aren't coming after me, I'm more nervous mm-hmm. than when it gets real loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, right, when it gets, yeah. when it's quiet, it scares me to death. And that's when I get jittery and tuck tail and hide when people make it personal, the way that rotund motherfucker, no Sarah and Eod and those guys did on my medics. Mm-hmm. They, they don't understand what switch that flipped for me. And, and whether it's Novastar or the Belgian guys threatening to kill me with learn out that then I just won't move. I'll just, I'll just fight to the absolute death. And, when I was doing the fun, things were size that I assumed something would double and triple on us before it would blow up. So it's not like we'd start with right. like this robust position. We'd, we'd kind of realize what rodeo we're involved in mm. and, that the, and that the bull may put its horns right through my ribs or right in my back and I'll have to recover but it's not like we start out at a huge position, but if something doubles on you, it's a whole lot bigger. And if something triples on you, it gets a whole lot bigger. But you know, that's part of what used to be the insanity of that business. So, so the roundabout answer is it all sort of depends. Mm-hmm. It depends where you are in the life cycle. It depends the noise, depends the heat, depends what you have. But you know, now shorting the frauds, it's, it's, it's almost next to impossible Yeah, because of the sheer, the sheer lack 
of any form of enforcement, whether it's the SEC or the clowns in Germany or, you know, I don't do anything in Asia because I can't speak the language. But, you know, that's why I told Grant on the real vision thing that that my medics was my last shot at the frauds because it's just it's just way yeah, too there, dangerous there, risky. There, there are no any there's no supervisory agencies that do anything anymore so who is who is the only thing that can put these guys out of business is their own balance sheet right fleck let, fleck, let me ask you because obviously you as you said you steer away from the frauds so at least when you're short you can you can look at market action you can look at uh, you know valuations of the stock there's all kinds of things that you can look at to to judge whether you need to lighten the load, take the position down, it's it's not quite as ethereal as it is with the fraud stuff because you're just waiting for the for the bomb to drop. How, what do you look for in terms of adjusting your position when you're in a short based on overvaluation? Well, because of what I <clears throat> learned in the fall of '98 to two, early 2000 blow off part of that, that mania. I became convinced that the Fed was a bigger part of the equation than the fundamentals. And so even if, if I had a stock, let's pick Intel because I was shorted so many times, um, you know, I would have some sense that their quarter was in trouble. So therefore I had a catalyst. And so depending on what the backdrop of the market was, I could put on more and beef it up or maybe use some options, some puts to help control my risk. Because if the thing would decline, I could substitute the puts for the short position. Um, I basically was trying to have as much exposure as I could. At times, I thought that I had a fighting chance to win because the central banks have totally made the playing field unlevel and even more now than ever. And, and, and as Mark noted, there's no, 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 no poli financial police anymore. So for me, because of the, the last couple of decades, how they've evolved, having a couple of rules to get out and having and my stocks were liquid too for the right. most part i i i didn't want to even battle stuff that was a single digit midget that could go up a whole bunch and and i tried to get rid of things where where it was hard enough to make it work with just the facts i, I didn't want to get any extraneous variables that i'd learned could could really hurt you so i kind of got really plain vanilla so to speak vis-a-vis -vis what what mark did i i I, I couldn't. I couldn't have done it. I mean, I, that's why I have so much respect for Mark. Not only, not only did he get the facts right in an impossible set of si various sets of situations, but he managed to figure out a way to fight the battle and put up with the mental anguish and the drawdowns and the the customers getting in your ear, your clients. And that's the other problem when you're running other people's money. You 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 can't afford to have things go too bad. Um, because then they want to take it away, and of course they always want to take it away right before you're about to rewrite. The interesting yeah. point Mark just made is about when things get loud, things get sloppy and crazy. And the good thing about those moments is they're always stressful for you. But but having been through a bunch of battles, you realize that oh, this is about the time. Maybe maybe we're going to turn the corner here, and we can going to start to change. See, the interesting thing is listening to Bill talk. You know, I have great, great, great respect for his game, but there's so few people who I think are worth a shit. When you see a great one like Bill, you kind of like admire it and say, although I do things very different, I really respect how you do it. I don't know a fucking chip from a dip, <laughs> right? And he does chips and he, he knows the feds and, and time the market's better and this and the other. That's, that's not my skill set. That's not my skill set. 
But in my skill set, there's no one better than me. There isn't. There's no. There, there just, there isn't. No. And, and I Not don't care close. what anyone says or. The average person, Mark, doesn't understand the degree of difficulty factor of going after some of these things. You know, afterwards, you look at the chart, it went down. Oh, yeah, that guy was right. Well, I mean, particularly if some or of the names. So, or it was so obvious or it was yeah. easy. But they or, don't understand oh, the degree of difficulty in uncovering the stuff that then you can then make public and then try to get people to sober up. So there's the degree of difficulty of ferreting out the information, the degree of difficulty of getting people to listen and understand, and then putting up with the emotional stress, mental stress, never mind the capital losses, in the interim of fighting the battle. So, I mean, the hand-to-hand -hand combat of frauds, which you've excelled at, I mean, I just don't, if you haven't been short, you don't have any idea about how hard it really is. No exactly, idea. Exactly, exactly, which is why, you know, on, on one way it's sort of sad, but, you know, when you talk about short selling in a environment like this, that or the other, I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, the game is over. I mean, when Powell yeah. says that we've crossed red lines, I mean, fuck that. I mean, they've, yeah. they've erased all the red lines. There are, there, there are no more as, uh, as this one guy I like on Twitter said, summed it up this way. I don't know if you saw this, Mark. He said, he was talking about fundamentals and he said, you know, the, the, you know, how he used to love to dig in the fundamentals and do all the kind of things that we've talked about. And he says, there is no game anymore. The only game is gaming the Fed. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Crime pays. You have this unlimited way of looking at things, these the world. And I think as I, Grant and I were talking when we we're in Vegas last October, you know, it's a Frankenstein market. Well, guys, let me, let me ask you both, because there'll be people listening to this who are either frustrated short sellers or beaten down short sellers or wannabe short sellers. So, you know, for them, just talk a little bit, each of you, about how you, how you stick to your discipline. Because, I remember talking to Kyle Bass, and he told me the, the the story of his first trade, which was a short trade, and the thing went to zero. And he said it was the worst thing that oh, ever happened God, to him. Yes, it's yeah. the worst thing that ever happened to him, right? Because he just got so confident. In the next three or four yep. trades, he got killed. So, so how do you? Two questions: How do you cope, if that's the right word, with being successful as a short seller, and how do you stop that success giving you kind of creep into into places you shouldn't be going? Well, if you're active at all, just because you have one winner or a couple, you've probably got a few others that aren't working. So you're, you're, you're constantly being reminded of your fallibility. But I agree with Kyle. My first short that I, I think was Keystone Medical. Mark, do you remember that one by any chance? Vaguely. Mid-80s. Anyway, went to zero. So, of course, I thought I was good at it. And that's the worst thing that can happen to you. Um, and, but anyway, over time, you just you either learn and get better or you go out of business or you lose all your money. So it, it, it's, I mean, when you win big, it feels good because you feel vindicated. But it, I don't know. I think it's more of a relief than anything that's liable to go to your head because you know what a battle it was and you know the next one's going to be a battle and the next one's going to be a battle it's never easy it's only easy in 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 moments of crisis but even then it's not easy i mean in 08 it was 
extraordinarily difficult. I mean, the S&P was down 40-ish and I was up 42 and I was that turned out to be a good number. But I thought if you'd have told me ahead of time, look, the market's going to be down 40 next year, I said, Jesus, I'll be up 70, 80, 100. I don't know. But the government changed the rules all the time. You know, they, they you know, Winnebago and IBM sold, said they were financial stocks, so you couldn't short them. And it wasn't just the tick. People sometimes think the uptake, uptick rule matters. It doesn't mean anything. But putting these stocks on the you can't short them list, you could still use puts and market makers could short them. But it disrupted the fabric of the market and all kinds of market neutral people blew up and that caused ramifications. And then there'd be big surges on the tarp and the other thing. And these surges were huge. And so you'd have your P&L go from one place to another place. And so there's nothing about it that is going to lend, uh, going to lead you to think that you're so good at it, you don't have to worry. I mean, that was that turned out to be a very, very difficult year, even if you were right. And then poor Mark, you had the Goldman Sachs steal all your money. So anyway, that that that's that's my answer to the question. Well, there's if you, if unless something is like really wrong with you, my simple advice is don't even try it. Don't <laughs> don't even try to do this. I mean, if you operate in an area let's say medical and you compete with frauds like my medics yeah you can take a shot on my medics because you know they're doing stuff wrong and i think in your walk of life when you see something that's wrong optically i think you can casually get involved but the the problem i'm having as i was thinking preparing for this earlier the pro the problem i'm now having is there are no rules i mean imagine if you live in Chicago and there's protesters that turn into rioters and there's no police, okay? That's what it essentially is like shorting stocks in this window or in this period. And until there's police to help defend you, AKA create free and normal markets, what's the point? I mean, what is the point? I mean, I think the reason they didn't ban short selling uh, a month or two ago was because Trump and his financial board, which is Griffin and all the front runners and all these clowns who rig markets, was just designed to get the market up. That's, that's all it was. And they would do it through hook or crook. So I think they figured to have the shorts or people shorting stocks into it was a good thing because you could create the incremental squeeze, uh, which is what's really going on. I mean, I, I feel really bad for the people who I like and care about who I think do a good job because, uh, I mean, I know one fellow, true story, started the year down 15. That was the January, February thing. And at the low, this guy was up 101, 101. And he thought the world was going to end. and since since the market low yeah he was he was jacked in since the market low and i encouraged him to get less bearish because i said i've seen this before he's taken it from up 101 to down a mere down 23. oh god so down 15 to up 101 to down 23 and i'm a tough guy i am i am mentally as tough <laughs> as you will find I, I wouldn't be able to remotely live with myself if something like that happened. It's the equivalent of going, taking a car and going 120 miles an hour into a brick wall without a seatbelt 
getting thrown right through the windshield. And then at the same time, they throw the car in reverse at 120 miles an hour and you hit the back wall. And I think it's been, and if you look at names, it's been that kind of environment, whether it's airlines or hotels, or then you get financials, then you can't miss the trade. So, so I think that these times are extraordinarily dangerous to be short because nothing makes any sense. I mean, they've, they've used the virus as an excuse to basically throw out 2000. If your numbers aren't good, you blame the virus and 2020 is a throwout year. Let's look forward to 2021. And if you're doing well in 2020, uh, like the RV guys are doing, uh, then everyone gets excited about 2020 and everyone looks forward to 2021 being even better. Mm -hmm. So I think to lean against it, unless you really, 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 really have the goods, is a, a significant money losing event. Is it, is it worse to give back short gains than it is to lose money? Uh, well, you're, you're still losing money. No, no, losing. I know, but, but they're so hard to come by. that anyway, um, I, I just heard your you know, visceral reaction I, I, to that story. I, Billy, had, I had a similar experience to the fellow Mark's talking about, which I'll admit to. It was 98 and going into the fall, I was up a ton. Uh, Might have been up 50 or 7. I don't know. I was up a bunch. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't remember now. And of course, I was hadn't quite learned all the things I've learned today. Um, and then in the fall of 98, when Greenspan came with the magical intermeeting rate cut, that's why I was so passionate about it in my book, because it really was hurt. It was personal. I got run over and I gave back my year and then some, I don't remember what the exact numbers were. It wasn't quite as dramatic as up a hundred to down, but it was up the limit to down a bunch. That's why that experience of from the fall of 98 onward really resonated with me. I don't know. I didn't think I was going to get through it, but, but I did. And I came to view the fed as public enemy number one for me and then ultimately for society as a whole because of what they've ultimately done. So that hurt because at the time I needed the money, it mattered. Um, and it, I, I don't think it really made a difference that I, that I went from up to down. I mean, it, it did because I'd, ha I'd been right. I'd nailed a, a something that had happened, but I didn't it, it hurt in that I realized I needed another way to do things because I couldn't let that go back. So it really, it was more like it's a different problem. One is making the money, the other one's keeping the money and they're not quite the same. So that's, that's why I went off on this whole fed and my kind of checklist thing was because I kept finding myself making money, but then I kept giving it back. And I thought, this is stupid. I've got to figure a way around this. I learned a lot out of my experience when that sort of thing happened to me. And, um, you know, I don't really know which was worse, but they're just two different things, at least for me. Mark? Well, I know why football coaches who win Super Bowls come back after they retire, because there is nothing greater than winning and getting one of these things right and profiting in it. There's nothing greater. There's no better feeling. But there is no worse feeling than losing. <laughs> nothing there, there there's just there's just it's it's beyond awful to me it's it's horrifically bad and as bill would say it becomes personal and i've always said this people say 
oh, don't take it personally. <laughs> Bullshit. If you're managing other people's money and you don't take this personally, I wouldn't want to have a dime with you. Yeah. And, and, and I take it personally. I take it personally constantly. So when you lose, when you lose and you lose at the hands, what's even worse is of the government or spot rule changes on the fly or, or failed policy decisions. And that's what causes you to lose. As Bill says, it sort of scars you. So, so I don't really care if you're up and lose or you just lose. Losing is awful. Losing is awful. And, and the problem is I don't mind making mistakes. I mean, I don't mind, like, if I'm stupid and I do something wrong to myself, I mean, I feel um, mad at myself, but I feel a whole lot better than when either the government intervenes or your prime broker intervenes or you get bought in or you lose a borrow or things like that happen. I mean, this environment or the environmental factors that can kick your ass right now are so vast and varied and black hole-like. I'm too old to figure out um, what can come at you next because it's, it's, I I, I don't want to say I've seen it all. I think I've seen just about as much as one can see or between Bill and I, I think we have, but they always have a tool in their toolbox that Mm -hmm. no one's ever seen. Well, uh, not to interrupt, Mark, but just to make that point for you, look, <clears throat> the, the Treasury put money in a SPIV so that they could go after the junk bonds and the munis and all this stuff. I mean, whoever thought they like I had people say to me, well, the Fed can't do that. It's illegal. And I thought, <laughs> you're kidding me. They'll just make it up. I mean, they'll figure something out. I didn't know what they would do. They came up with a SPIV. So the unpredictability of what these people are liable, the, the authorities, so to speak, are liable to do, not only won't they do their jobs as policemen, they come up with ways to bend their own rules. I mean, lest we forget, I know that I always talk about the Fed, but in the 08 crisis, they not only precipitated the bubble, the Fed was supposed to have supervision over the over the so-called investment banks after they let them merge with the regular commercial banks in the wake of ripping apart Glass-Steagall. So they didn't do their regulatory job either. And then they come in and they do all this stuff. So it's not only difficult to get it right, as both of us have said, but there's this unpredictable nature of what they may do that you didn't think of. Of course, now after we've seen all this, we, we give them lots of rope, but they still come up with stuff. So it is next to impossible to do it on any sort of, in any sort of non, for me at least, in any sort of non-tactical way where all the stars line up and you you go and try to take a shot. I agree with Mark. There's no reason for the average person to try this. I mean, if you have an edge somewhere, yes. But the other part that to uh, to to add to Mark's point is the emotional stress that you get. I mean, yes, you take things personally. And then when some governmental guy does something, it's even more personally, you get more frustrated. It's hard to keep your thought process. Not it's hard not to end up on tilt, as I like to say. So they've structured things are just set now that it's, it's just next to impossible to win. And and as Mark said, yeah, there's no point for the average person to try or even the average smart person or sophisticated person to try. Right. But, but, you, you, so we find ourselves in this position where, f- for for both of your styles, 
there really has arguably never been a better time to potentially be a short seller because we've got record overvaluations. We've got an economy in collapse, not just in the US, but around the entire globe. Uh, And we have a a point where this is the, the, the time in the cycle where the frauds are likely to get exposed. And yet, you know, I, I just hear so much reluctance in both your voices to 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 get involved here. And, and that that's that speaks very loudly to me because it almost feels like the battle's been won. You know, guys like you who historically have held markets to account, have held companies to account. Um, have kind of been chased out. And, and I, I, I'm guilty of this, Bill, and you and I, we sit in, over dinner, and Mark and I have sat over dinner and talked about this stuff, and you get to the point where you just feel like you're, you're sitting there complaining about the game. Um, and the choice really is to either decide to just play it or decide not to play at all. And, and, and it, it saddens me that great exponents of what really to me is a market art uh, such as you two guys are are discouraged at exactly the point in in the play well, where you would think it's sorry I, I wouldn't characterize it as discouraged it's just a fact right. they've changed the rules and there's nobody that says just because you happen to be intellectually honest like the three of us doesn't mean that it's our job to police some other people's shortcomings and thus um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's more of a comment on a moment in time that in this moment in time, when there's so much to think about where you might want to be short, you can't be, right. but it's, it's, it's for, for a variety of reasons. If that changes, then, 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 then it'll be, po- it'll be possible again somewhere. But well, here's, here's, here's the, here's the, the way I, sort of come down on it and I have this conversation with myself at about 3 30 in the morning daily is that I have all sorts of people wanting to give me money to do this and I say no 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 and every flavor of no right <laughs> but but deep inside you don't think I want to compete you don't think I want to do this to my inner core of course I want to do of course I, I, it's a wonderful time. Of course it is, right? But the 60-year-old Mark who's seen it all, who's been bounced into the wall, trashed this, that, or the other, simply says, you know, you only, you know, this is not a dress rehearsal. I probably have, you know, 10 to 15 good years left where I still have my marbles. <laughs> and the wear and tear. Yeah with how they have this thing rigged. Do I think I can win another Super Bowl? Absolutely. But the 60-year-old Mark says they've rigged this and changed the rules so deeply, so crookedly. I'm so aware of how this all goes on with the captured media, captured regulators, the lawyers, the inaction on FDA, EPA, SEC, DOJ, FBI coming by to threaten you, the whole thing. I am so familiar with how they can literally rat fuck you. I basically say, why do I need to subject myself to it? As much as I love it, as much as I'd love to play, want to compete, do the whole thing, the more mature me says it's just asking for a, a huge problem and that it, to me is horrifically sad 
because I think I think you're right, Grant. I mean, there's going to be something from all this that's really going to be something. And you know, I'm not dead. I'm not dying. Nor is Bill. Nor a handful of others. But man, it is as next to impossible right now as I have ever seen, ever, ever. Amen to that. You know, and that, and and that's really something. But but you know, I am. You know, I'm waiting for this. My medics, I'm waiting for the final puff of smoke to come out of that engine, <laughs> and, and then I'm gonna. I I am gonna embark on writing a book, and I am gonna explain. This isn't going to be a normal book. This oh, is going to awesome be awesome news. I whoa, didn't know you were going to. This... Oh, sorry. Well, this this is going to expose everybody. They're they they you know the the people who need to finally get exposed and named will be called out. And, oh, and that's and awesome because because I think the thing that's important is Joe Sixpack or the people who watch the Cartoon Network. They have no clue what really goes on. No, they don't. I mean, what what really goes on, and 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 no one has really put it out there how things really go. You know how things really work, how the sausage is truly made, and I think that needs to be done at some point because uh, I'll second that. You know, it's just it's just it's something, but. So what else, Grant? What else you thinking there? Well, you know, I, I, it's, it's funny. I sit and talk to you guys, and, and you're two of the guys that whenever I get a chance to, to spend time with, I, I try and do as much listening as I possibly can because I, I, I just learn so much from, from the two of you, particularly talking about this, right, which is, which is uh, your art form. This is what you guys have, have become the best at in two different avenues but short selling is an incredibly difficult thing to do and and i'm lucky to be able to sit here and and listen from two of the very best well mark certainly is i don't know if i'd put myself in that category but in any case the the thing the thing it's going to be it's going to be i mean the real question is who's going to be left at the end of this year who's going to be left oh god i mean right i I mean i I I just because from a from a mental standpoint they gave the shorts or the people who run short money. What did they give them this year to make it 14 days? Something like that. The decline was what? 14 trading days, something like that. Yeah, just about the time they got their exposure nice and chunky. It turned it. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. Just, that's, that's, just, that's my point. just, just about the time, right. You have a game or two where you rush from a hundred yards you blow out your ACL, PCL, MCL, and break your ankle, right? Three, three games into the season. Right. And, and the average fund guy or allocator is going to basically say, we'll just take our chances because, you know, so what? You generate alpha. I mean, that's the whole thing. I give a fuck about generating alpha. I only short a stock to make money. I don't give a fuck that I'm doing better than the market. I mean, if I lose 50 cents on the dollar and the market's up 75%, I've done shitty. I'd only short something to make money, not to so-called do better than the market. I don't think there's going to be real demand for any short kind of activity uh, until after something really bad happens, whether we get a, a crash because they've tipped it up too high or the bond market takes away the printing press until something bad happens and people lose money for real for a while. There's not going to be demand uh, for short exposure. It's just going to keep going 
you know, guys are just going to keep taking money away from it, I would think. So we need, we need something to change. Uh, and then, you know, then demand will pick up, I would think. And the, and the crazy thing is, you know, when I think back when Grant said, you know, I really like Powell, that was based when he was actually taking rates up and trying to take the booze and the crack out of the party, right? He was actually trying to, to pull some of the money back and the market didn't like it and he blinked. I think wasn't that yeah although I, I, just a point of clarification I, I i didn't use the word really all right it's bad enough that i got this one that wrong i said i like pal there i said it <laughs> no yeah. no i no and, no, he, and, and he was i don't making, and i don't and i don't think you got it wrong i'm not i'm not i mean i totally i totally understand why you said what you said in the whole thing i totally get it but see the crazy thing is they have this opportunity and they had this window to shut down these bad actors, these private equity guys, these guys who do the mismarks, all these bad, bad players who rip people off. But instead of taking these guys out, they just gave them more boot. They just gave them more. They just rewarded all this crazy-ass behavior. Because I will say that the Fed is the enemy. They, they don't really understand how their policies really work. And while Powell gave lip service, I don't think he was trying to do the right thing. It was a necessary step for the Fed to remain credible. They said they were going to do this temporarily and temporarily turned into a decade. And then so they felt like, OK, now we have to prove that we can walk away because that proves that it all worked. They didn't get very far. I mean, they got what? nine months into QT and they raised rates a few times. But that wasn't out of any, in my opinion, it wasn't any sense out of moral, uh, doing the right thing sort of thought processes. This, this is how we prove that we can do what we say we can do. And then they couldn't. And they went back the other way in a heartbeat. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, they is, criminals know they're criminals, I think. But I don't, the Fed doesn't have any self-awareness at all. I mean, my God, you know, the Bernanke saying in Greenspan arguing there couldn't be a housing bubble because you couldn't arbitrage real estate between Portland, Oregon and Portland, Maine. I'm not making that up. They, he said it, Greenspan. And, and Bernanke saying that subprime was contained, Mark, when the, the subprime was just blowing up. I mean, they don't understand anything about what they do. So they're far more dangerous than than I think people think because like both of you guys sounds like, you know, wanted to kind of, you know, say, well, I mean, they were trying to do the right thing. Well, not really the right thing. They were trying to think, do the thing that was the, the thing that they felt they needed to do for their own credibility. Yeah. Anyway. And I think, that's, I think that's important, right? I think that's, that's the important distinction. I don't think it was anything to do with doing the right thing. It was about trying to get out of a mess they created you know, kind of sneaking quietly out the back door when nobody was looking, hoping they wouldn't be missed. Right. At the party. Well, right? Time out yeah. one, one second. What yeah, do sure. you think of that? What do you think of that Sorkin Kernan thing on the Cartoon Network? <laughs> Go ahead, Grant, you first. Uh, you know, I only saw it, I, I only saw it on Twitter and I, you know, I, I don't know, it, 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 it seemed a bit kind of hokey to me. Uh, you know, Sorkin, he kind of took the role of the good guy in that particular exchange, I guess. Um, but he's been cheerleading plenty over the years. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of I kind of find it. I, I struggle with it a little bit because there's been so many other times to have that discussion, to have that pop at some of these blatant cheerleaders. Why do it? against this backdrop it feels like it's kind of point scoring to me to be honest with you mm-hmm. well um as you know mark when you uh put your thing on twitter I, I i popped off in sort of a glib fashion they're both wrong or something like that and i didn't articulate why so i'd like to do that now um i, I believe the the, the 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 nut of the argument was kernan is uh, uh, 100% bullish all the time, doesn't really have any grasp of what's really going on, um, though he sure thinks he does. Um, he got in my face a few times back in the old, old days. Um, and he's a Trump supporter. And so he, 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 he is perceived for doing things solely for the benefit of his ulterior motive, A, Trump, or B, the market, not really advocating for anyone's personal responsibility. In fact, I, to the extent that people were arguing for open things up, I happen to be in that camp, not because I want to see people die, but you can't take 40% of the population and not let them get a paycheck or have any shot of it and, and keep ruining their balance sheets and hope to have anything on the other side. So I would like to see an intelligent discussion on both sides. Sorkin, on the other hand, in my to my way of thinking, is perceived, you know, he, he, he was sort of advocating the other thing. And I think he was advocating the other thing because I think there are some folks that want to keep things locked down, not out of some altruistic uh, want to save every last life. They don't really give a damn about all the economic damage that's having to ha- happening to all the individuals in the world, part of which I think is some of the reasons that the protests and, and, and riots have gotten as big as they have is not simply because of the the injustice of a cop killing a, uh, any person, uh, much less a black person who's been picked on before, it's that there, there's so much frustration about so many things and people have been cooped up, boom, the powder keg exploded. So um, anyway, I, I, I perceive them both to be acting disingenuously and that's why I said they were both wrong. So that was my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I got on that. I, it, it just didn't feel genuine to me. Well, I thought it was... I thought it was refreshing. And I think, I mean, I've talked to Sorkin a few times over the years, and I think he's sort of beholden to all the bankers and all that kind of stuff. But it seems like he's just had enough of that current and grandstanding. I don't watch Cartoon Network. I saw it on Twitter. I did and too. It seems, and it seems like it's a, this town ain't big enough for you and I moment. And, and, and I think that whole CNBC dynamic uh, has to blow up which leads me to my editorial comment about you guys is you guys, I think are just great. You're great people. Uh, you have great minds, you have great intellect and you know, a shit pot full of people, you know, as many, if not more people than I do. And I think between both of you two, you can sort of offer a financial sort of Jim Rome, uh, program podcast, wherever you guys take it, because you can talk about currency, metals, bonds, stocks, and there's so much fucked up shit going on. You guys have plenty to talk about. That will definitely be there. Yeah, you will be yeah, our I mean, you will be our barometer. It's the nuances that are important. Nuance today for me is if I think you have no chance uh, being short stocks, 
don't use it as the contrarian opinion. Use it that you know you're you're right. You're you're, yes, you're probably yes. you're right. Don't fade, now the don't market fade me on this. <laughs> no, you can you can you can fade me all you want, and I think individual names. If you want to rifle yes. shoot, you have a chance. Yeah, but, I agree. But but given Warren Buffett selling airlines at the bottom and selling financials at the bottom and Cartoon Network parading Tepper and Cooperman and Warren, you know, Druckenmiller and all these guys are negative, 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 negative. And the market's up 30% since they had the cavalcade of stars out there. You know, good luck. Good luck, everybody. I, I, I wish everyone nothing but the best in, in, in this calamity. Well, it's, uh, you've, you've done my job of summing it up nicely there. Uh, so, I mean, look, I guess all that remains is for us to thank you, Mark, A, for the idea, <laughs> yeah. for, for putting this thing together, because I think it's going to be a lot of fun over the coming weeks and months. Uh, and secondly, for, for giving us, well, well over an hour of your time to, to talk through this stuff today. I, I really appreciate it, as always. I, I have time. Mondays look like Wednesdays look like Fridays with <laughs> distancing socially in the quarantine, and Saturdays look like Sundays, and it's just kind of ready to, ready to do something different. I'll tell you that. All right, well, my man. Something. This has been really fun, and Mark, thanks for the idea. Um, um, and um, I'm afraid you probably set the bar far too high for us, but we'll do our best. That's to all, try that's to, all right. That's, 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 that's all right. And, and, and as you guys know, I'll do whatever I can to help you, um, including when we when this all loosens up. We should have a big gathering at Alder Lane Farm at some point. There you oh, go. See if you guys see if you guys can somehow get a conference or this, that, and the other, or some one-off thing, and maybe I can get my buddies at Collective Soul to come out for some. Oh, oh, that it, oh God! This, all right. oh, sure. We'll figure out a way to do right. this. Yeah, this, sure is, will. this is this is this is this is aspirational when quarantine uh, <laughs> comes <laughs> off and uh -huh. and. Uh, all right. And, and 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 don't think for a minute I'm not done with those my medics guys. That, that, I'll leave you. I'll leave you with that. When I'm when I'm done with those guys, I'm gonna wipe them all the way up and down I five. <laughs> all right, that buddy. Listen, take care of yourself. That includes no, Sarah. Take care, guys. Say Thanks hi for to having Aurora and yeah. uh, Aurelius yeah. and the gang. You got it. Bye. Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah, that, that was, was so fun. much fun. All right. Well, Fleck, uh, as as expected. Uh, He's such a character. He's, he's such a fascinating guy. What? He's just so bashful, though. <laughs> it's so funny. You know, it, it's, it's, I've been fortunate to get to, to know Mark pretty well over the last sort of three or four years. And uh, he's an extraordinary guy. And, and he rubs a lot of people up the wrong way, which is, which is kind of his stock in trade, right? So he's made a living out of doing that, necessarily, in many cases. But, um, but he's, 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 such a, he's such a good guy, right? He's, his heart's yeah. in the right place. His motivations are, are good, even though if, if you kind of read the haters, you'd, you'd think he was some kind of evil genius. Um, but he's just good people, and, and I love talking to him every chance I get. Yeah, yeah. He's cer certainly been through it all. Anyway, it was, it was really fun. It was really fun. Well, look, all that remains is to, is to thank you guys out there for listening to us. Um, and uh, please do share the podcast, uh, download it, subscribe, rate and review it, do all the stuff that you know what to do now. Um, we will be back again at some point soon, uh, leaning on friends that we know to come and help us pick our way through these questions that we're trying to get to the bottom of. Um, but in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter should you wish to do so. You'll find me at TTMYGH. Uh, my handle is at uh, FleckCap, and um, I'm on Twitter too. There we go. Uh, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. <laughs>